0: Hey folks, on today's episode, Ryan and I are going to be discussing the first six episodes of the All or Nothing Tottenham documentary series currently available on Amazon Prime. As I say up front, but worth reiterating, we recorded this on Friday, so before the final three episodes had dropped, I believe they are available right now. Ryan and I are going to review those final three episodes later on in the week, but for now, here's our thoughts on the first six. It's a fairly lengthy episode, not surprisingly. Before we get to that episode, I did also want to let you know that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is. Is brought to you by DoorDash. Between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty on your to-do list so you can give yourself one less thing to worry about by letting DoorDash take care of what you're going to be eating for your next meal. That is a thing. It can be a little bit stressful even when you're working at home, even when you're working remotely, to have to pause and figure out what you're going to cook and make and stuff like that. It's not really a thing you do at work because usually you bring the food with you or you go out for lunch. If you don't want to go out given you know current COVID situation, then DoorDash will bring that food to you. You can order from any of your favorite local restaurants to support them you can order from any of your larger restaurants like say cheesecake factory you could do that one if you wanted to you could do mcdonald's if you want fast food but then the local option always great as well And it's worth reiterating that DoorDash deliveries are contactless, which means if you don't want to, you never have to see another human. And isn't that always the goal? Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter the code TSS. That's $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code TSS. Don't forget. That's code TSS for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Thank you to DoorDash for sponsoring this episode. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell and with me today to break down all or nothing, the Tottenham Amazon documentary is a man who refuses to look his physios in the eye whenever they give him news. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan.
1: Hello, TT! What a fine day to be talking to. you. It seems like it's been a while since we had a little chat, hasn't it?
0: It does, it does. It's nice to be back chatting with you. We will be back doing weekend reviews next week on Monday when the Premier League is back underway. Um, Should note, we are recording this Friday uh, morning, Friday morning on September 11th, which means that uh, when we, I think, put this show out, when it finally publishes, the final three episodes of All or Nothing will be uh, available to stream and watch. We'll get Ryan and I are going to cover those, I think, at a later date. But for now, we're ready to talk the first six episodes, if that works for you, Mr. Bailey. I am jealous
1: of future Ryan having seen all nine, frankly. That's all I can say.
0: It is, it is addictive. I'll give it that. That every time I think I'm like, oh, okay, I'll watch one as soon as that episode ends. I'm like, well, okay, maybe we'll just keep it rolling and see what happens in the next one. They've done a good job yeah. with that one. I do think this one is, is easier and more fun to watch than Sunderland Till I Die, probably because it's not a club in free fall or at least doesn't appear to be yet. Uh, wh- what do you make of the documentary from a general perspective, Ryan?
1: I completely agree with that sentiment tete because i I think when i when I finish an episode, I think, oh, I could watch one of the other zillions of things I have on streaming no i 'm going to watch another one it's very i think it 's the most watchable all or nothing so far, but saying that also it does have a fundamental problem in this show. I think there is a bit of a lack of drama, there's not much peril, there's not really much at stake in this show. I think that's what its issue is if you're gonna look at it generally. Well Sunderland, you know, they're battling relegation and being pretty poorly organised, you know. Manchester City, even then they were trying to you know, they were a team with the weight of all that financial power on their shoulders, trying to win the league, trying to win the Champions League. There was there was something at stake there. Even when you go back to the Liverpool show with Brendan Roger, he had the envelopes. Mm. Whose names were in the envelopes? That's some peril there. Tottenham, it's about, maybe they're going to get in the top four, and you've got Tom Hardy saying, oh, with that loss, they go back to sixth place. And it's it's kind of like, oh, okay, sixth place, that's a, that's a compelling reason to watch the next episode. But I say that as someone who just said, I enjoy watching episode after episode. So they're doing something right in this production, even though there's not much at stake, if you get what I'm saying.
0: I do. We're going to talk Tom Hardy uh, at some point in the show, because I have questions <laughs> and thoughts. But I think this reminds me of when I was in high school, and all of my science projects would be me coming up with my idea and writing it all out, and then doing the experiment and finding out that everything was wrong. It feels <laughs> like so many times with these documentaries, they have this idea of, with Sunderland, it's they've gotten relegated, but obviously we're going to, get, we're going to be there for the, the resurgence, for the Phoenix Rising, and them getting back to the Premier League, and then things go into freefall, and I think the same thing happens here my guess is that they think this is the team that lost the champions league but have this core group they've got this manager that seems to know like what he wants from them and has got them playing well they've got this interesting quote-unquote front office person who everybody knows by reputation there's lots of building blocks here and if they kind of go on to the next level we'll be there to capture it and instead you once again sort of get the downturn in form and I think it's them not necessarily scrambling, but having to sort of reconfigure things on the fly as Jose Mourinho comes in, which is why I'm going to assume yeah. there's a ton of footage that is scrapped because we get, what, like 20 minutes of Mauricio Pochettino in this?
1: That's, that's the sort of the elephant in the room of the first episode, isn't it? The fact that Mauricio Pochettino, I think he gets like 16 or 17 minutes, mm-hmm. as you say. This is a man who, he coached the first 12 Premier League games. He was there to, what, was it mid-November or mm-hmm. something? That's quite a big chunk of the season, quite a big part of Tottenham's story. And he's treated as a footnote. And that's where this show its very much become the Jose Mourinho show. It's 100% about Jose. And I think, Taylor, that reveals... I'm going to get all my grievances about this show out in the open early doors because that reveals one of the problems of this show... It is focused all around Jason Mourinho, and that's understandable because he's a very intriguing personality and someone we want to learn more about. But I think it speaks to the fact that there are less personalities elsewhere, and it's a little bit vanilla at Tottenham Hotspur. Forgive me for saying that, Spurs fans, but let's look at the City documentary. There was a lot of Pep, and it followed Pep around, but I think maybe the camera gets a bit tired of him. Jumping around on his haunches saying, come on guys, in front of a whiteboard, you couldn't have that permanently. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's a lot more of Josie's screen time here. And I think on City, you, you go off with, I don't know, Fabian Delph in his car for a little while, or there'll be the kit man, there'll be a whole, like a, 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 the, the B plot of the episode would be the kit man, <laughs> if, if, if you were going to go for sitcom style. There's no B-plots here, really, are there? It's just the A-plot, it's Jose Mourinho all the way through, and then some scrappy
0: win against Mm. Norwich happens. And that's, that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, I mean, which I don't, I'll say this. First of all, I really, really like this. As I've said, I find it compelling. Yeah. There's not really a but coming with this. I, I find it enjoyable, and I just want to say that up front because I do know there's been a lot of complaints about it, whitewashing things and sort of oversimplifying moments, avoiding mm-hmm. topics entirely like Ndombele. Um But what I, I don't really begrudge it is that sort of getting past Pochettino pretty quickly because I think yeah. what we would have ended up seeing if we, they stuck with it for multiple episodes is a sort of, unmotivated, frustrated manager who wanted things to go a certain way, but the documentary crew probably aren't allowed or aren't, like, given access to some of those conversations in which he's saying, like, hey, you signed no one for me, and I'm pretty frustrated. And it would have just been more of a sort of negative situation. So I understand why they were quick to move past that. It just does feel like he doesn't really get – The full credit. And you start to get that almost later in the episodes when they keep talking about this core squad and how long they've been together and how unified Mm -hmm. they are, or at least how unified they appear to be. And I think that's in reference to Mauricio Pochettino. But it was a thing that stood out to me. It also stood out to me that he doesn't really speak English that well, which I then keep wondering like how he was doing team talks and what the procedure was there. But maybe that's the conversation for another day.
1: I mean, does he know as many English swear words as Jose Mourinho is Probably question? not. <laughs> I mean, does he have a wider vocabulary than Harry Kane in his team talks? Who's to know? But uh, I think what you say there, Taylor, it does sort of reveal some of the artifice of this. If, if um, Pochettino wasn't playing ball and didn't want to be on camera as much, which is, uh, you know, that's quite possible he wouldn't have been up for doing some of the things which look a bit maybe reconstructed or staged. There's, I think, is it the first or the second episode where Jose tells the TV to F off and switches it off even though the the TV's off already and there's the sort of sound that's put in and it doesn't sound like this guy sports news people it's it's a bit a slightly contrived scene which they've set up I don't imagine Pochettino go uh, you know working with the producers to set up something like that if, if he was having a bad time if he you know if he didn't want to be involved that much whereas Jose just coming in would be more game to play a part in the artifice of that and mm. I will say I do uh, once again I'll, I'll, I'll uh, insist with you that I do enjoy this show and I think it's understandable to have some things reconstructed and staged like yeah. that because it's still getting the same point across that they want to get across. It's still, the, it's still telling the same story. And I think where you can tell things have been either reconstructed or sort of stage managed a little bit. If you look in the background, Taylor, of a lot of scenes and um, there's sort of that, that room between the outside field where there's like yeah. boot. Where they, where they knock over drinks. I think they knock drinks on uh, Jose's boots at one yep. point. Or there's the boardroom or there's Jose's um, office. There are these sort of semi-circular fixed cameras on the walls. There's quite a lot of them. You can spot them in the background. And when a scene starts, they'll be on those. And then it cuts to the full fancy ISO camera with a crew. And I think that's when, oh, we've got something interesting on these fix cameras let's sort of reconstruct a bit with the crew because and and that makes me think for example like when danny rose confronts jose about not getting any playing time which is something we can get to later yeah i don't think danny rose sits down with a full crew of people eating popcorn behind a camera you know when he does that i think maybe that happened and then they sort of redid it a little bit and it kind of belies the Accessible areas promise premise of this show but I think that's kind of what happens there. And that kind of explains a little bit why Poch is a footnote. Maybe he didn't play ball as much with that kind of artifice.
0: That could be. That makes sense. I do mm. think that sometimes my wife watches uh, a decent amount of like talking head reality TV shows. Not the Kardashian style, but I think I've talked about them before, like 90 Day Fiancé style. And it does seem like once you're just sort of inundated with cameras in your life, you stop seeing them. And you do end up having sort of normal conversations even with a camera pointed in your face. That said, that did it, seem Sanders, like... Is
1: it what happens when things start getting real?
0: <laughs> I really did set that one up, didn't I? Uh, but welcome. so I do wonder if maybe part of it is that they they just get used to the cameras. And maybe if you're Danny Rose, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go with Joseph Mourinho. I'm going to be the guy who... Goes back at him and really does do that. I do look yeah. forward to talking about that. But first, maybe should we should we take him in order then, or do you have any other general thoughts before we get into the first episode?
1: Do you want to talk a little bit? Uh, there's two more things I'd like to sure. kind of talk about: is Harry Kane's team talks and Tom Hardy. Should we hit
0: those points? Yeah, before we move let's in? start with Tom Hardy, um, I, who okay. I uh, I adore. Uh, my well, my wife and I, when we got married, we did the newlywed game. When asked who her celebrity crush was, I think my answer correctly was she won't know his name, but I listed three movies that she would probably list, and I think she listed two of them. We both have strong feelings for Tom Hardy, so I was excited to hear him. Mm -hmm. I think if I didn't love Tom Hardy, I would find him slightly confusing in this documentary. I don't know what Tom Hardy's
1: natural accent is. Thank That's you. That's a problem. I find, I find that whatever he's doing in this, he's kind of doing a, a, a Richard Attenborough impression a little yep. bit. Um, I've heard he's, that. He absolutely, where, I know where he comes from. He I don't think he sounds like that naturally. And obviously in his movies, we hear lots of different accents. In fact, the closest I think this accent is, is to the one he does in a movie called Locke. Le- Have you seen oh, that? Oh, I thought it was going to be legend. I thought you were going to say legend,
0: because I hear a little <laughs> bit of the craze in this too.
1: Oh yeah, I can see some craze in that. But there's a movie called Locke, where he plays a Welshman for no particular ah. reason. And he's got the same sort of cadence in his words. Uh, and he plays a, a Welsh... Builder who's um, doing a big cement pour and he's in a car the whole time. It's a good movie. It's a better movie yeah. than I've made it sound. But um, my point being is, I, th- I was a little bit distracted by listening to mm-hmm. his accent because it it wasn't natural. And when you listen to say like Sir Ben Kingsley doing the city one or who, was it Daniel Craig who did the Liverpool one, sure. I feel I feel that like their deliveries a little bit more natural. Yeah, Tom I Hardy, think... love him, and I do like it, but it took me out of the moment a couple times. I'd say it,
0: it. It genuinely, there are moments when he seems to be doing characters from other movies because there's, yep. there's definitely he delivers a couple lines. When did I write it down in the first episode that he's doing his like Mad Ma, Mad Max Rockettansky voice, where he's kind of like. <laughs> Yeah, they did the it. like it's like a very like kind of guttural <laughs> thing. But then there are moments like when he says the way he says league is a very specific way of like it's it's nasally and bass at the same time, so it's this weird like in the Premier League. And he like draws it out, and it's, it's like he just has different acting choices for every single one. And so I end up sort of focusing on like, wait, how did he deliver? That sounded familiar. Was that his, was that Bane? Or was that Mad Max? <laughs> was that the guy from Legend? Uh, there's, there's, there's definitely like, definitely moments where I get distracted by his narration, but I still enjoy it a lot because I think Tom Hardy is awesome. And that's kind of what it comes down to in the end.
1: I'd like to have seen Tom Hardy doing more of the characters. You know, Danny Rose saying, what would happen if you dropped me from the team? It would be very painful <laughs> for
0: you. <laughs> I think he should dress up in character to do the narration. I think that would work really well. So, yeah, I, Tom Hardy has been a welcome, if at times confusing and distracting addition. Yep. Uh, what about Harry Kane's team talks? Because I find something else more distracting about Harry Kane than his team talks, and it's the fact that he won't uh. close his mouth when he chews. Uh, but the team <laughs> talks also pretty interesting.
1: In fact, we see a lot of leg. Him and Hugo Lloris when they're on the, uh, on the massage table. Yeah, we do. Um, you, you said you don't want to have any more butts in this uh, conversation, but there was a couple certainly on those physio tables. Yeah, there were. Um, <laughs> Harry Kane's team talk. So my point a little bit earlier in that there's not much peril in this show and Spurs are a bit vanilla. If you are to be roused and... Given Your Passion and Your Excitement for Going on the Field by Harry Kane's Team Talks. I can understand why things wouldn't be terribly rousing because it's like every third word is the F word mm. and it's just hilariously generic what he says. Like, Come on guys, let's effing get out there, let's effing go and score some goals, yeah? Yeah, we'll go and uh, we'll, if we get more than the other team, yeah, we'll win and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll qualify for the next round, yeah? Yeah, let's effing do it, let's effing do it. All right, all right, let's go! And everyone goes, yay! And... Even the um, Hugo Lloris ones are sort of a slightly Frenchy version of that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. There's not much more going on. I can't imagine Roy Keane giving speeches like that is all I can say.
0: I mean, I've seen Ryan Giggs' team talk from when he was the temporary manager at Manchester United. They were slightly less inspiring than (laughs) Harry Kane's. I I do like – but see, this is why I kind of like it is because – I'm inclined to think that that's not just how Harry Kane would choose to motivate the team. I think that, and Hugo Lloris's, are both responses to Jose Mourinho consistently being like, you all are too nice, you don't fight enough, you're not nasty enough. And I think the way it seems like the squad internalized that is to, to be louder, to be angrier, to swear more, to show that they have that passion. Because one of my favorite things, and I think this transitions us into that first episode is that from everything I have ever heard about Jose Mourinho, is that he is a very, very affable guy if you're not a member of the media. That if you're a player, if you're a coach who's just interacting with him in a training session or – He's speaking at an event. By all accounts, yep. he is incredibly nice and authentic and genuine. But he has that public persona. And what I thought was so fascinating was that it seems as though if you're not directly familiar with him, if you haven't played with him, if you haven't played for him, if you don't have people who like know him really well, you can see it with Ben Davies. Where he's like, "Is it just going to be tactics? It's going to be so t- What's training going to be like?" And you can see that anxiety in the squad and it's it's a new coach coming in and you can see them all not really knowing who Jose Mourinho is or what he's going to ask of them and so i find those moments of like Harry Kane i think trying to do his best what Jose Mourinho is asking him to do speech yeah. is is really interesting because it sort of removes some of the facade, if you, when you're interviewing these players, you expect them to be seven feet tall. And when you meet them and they're five foot six, you're a little bit like, whoa, OK, that takes a minute to adjust. And I think this documentary removes some of that a little bit. And you see these people as, yeah, these are 18, 19, 22 year old guys who are still living with their parents or have their family moving with them and are trying to kind of figure out what their coach wants from them and are having to sort of figure it out on the fly and deal with it in these highly pressurized situations. I thought that was a very compelling thing, and I kind of wish we'd gotten even more of it.
1: Yeah, and that's a very eloquent way of putting it, Taylor. But also, I got the sense that Harry Kane was... It was almost like the kid who hadn't read the book but had to give the book report in front of the rest <laughs> of the class. Like, he listened to all the to the complicated stuff Josie had said. This uh, yeah, so, guy Lord of the
0: Flies, I think. He, he Lords yeah. of the Flies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Those flies got lorded over. Yeah, they did. Um, <laughs> it's just him sort of... Yeah, yeah, go... Ball in the net, yeah? Let's effing do it, yeah? Which may be all that's required. I don't know. I've not been in a lot of Premier League dressing rooms, but I feel like a higher standard of oration might lift the team a little higher. Is that me being snobby? I don't know.
0: While we pause to contemplate Harry Kane's oratory ability, I'd also like to point out that he's the player who we see eating most often on the show. I don't know why that is, but that food is always prepared by an army of chefs and cooks, and it seems to be mostly nice. But if you don't have an army of staff supporting your every need uh, and still want to prepare something delicious, but don't feel like going to the actual grocery store to make said meal, then allow me to point you in the direction of HelloFresh, today's sponsor. HelloFresh offers convenient delivery right to your doorstep for each easy home cooking with the family, which Steven Bergwine can now do since his family is with him. The recipes are easy to follow and quick to make with simple steps and pictures to guide you along the way. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality, pre-portioned ingredients so you can make meals that are delicious and nutritious. I'm assuming Jose would approve. Over 90% of ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure the freshest recipes are delivered to your door. There are no made-up candy bars here, no Crunch or Pow or Zoom or whatever that nonsense was, just good food you can make yourself. So to see what they have on offer, go to hellofresh.com/adtss and use the code ADTSS to get a total of $80 off your first month including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit hellofresh.com for more details and again that's hellofresh.com/adtss use the code ADTSS to get a total of $80 off your first month. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Ryan. That that leads to the next thing of like, how much are we actually seeing, do you think? Because I would love to see, I doubt they would ever do it, but I would love to see an unedited clip just like posted somewhere of what his halftime actually is and how much mm. of that Harry Kane speech, is there more to it? And are they just showing us the part where it's kind of rousing and gets the team up? Because another thing I thought was really interesting in both the first and second episodes was that Mourinho's team talks are are almost unemotional like in the sense that yes you'll get the like it's not good enough there's cursing there's frustration but there's never a complacency like like i think a lot of times if if i'm coaching and my team is losing 3-0 at the half I will sort of say, like, look, you know, it's not so bad. We're doing okay. We can figure that there's none of that reassurance. And to some extent, I think that that is his style, and I think it works really well, that there's never a, like, you guys are doing fine. It's just got to be a little bit better. It's like, it must be this, it must be that. It's very cut and dry and unemotional. And I'd like to know, is that actually how it is, or did they cut out the two minutes when he's saying, like, you were crap and you were crap. I'm going to sign somebody else to replace you. I'm mad at all of you. Because we know he does have that, too. We know he can get frustrated in the moments. But I feel like we've seen a very calm, poised Jose from most of this documentary so far.
1: I think that's very deliberate, Taylor, and I think it leads to a key point in this whole exercise in that Jose Mourinho comes off pretty well by all accounts absolutely he seems very affable. he seems like the kind of guy you want to hang out with he makes some jokes with the
0: team he seems like he has the right way of getting the best out of people he genuinely seems like a comedic genius at times like there's the one jumping ahead there's the one when when they're playing chelsea and he's at like the 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 woman asks him you said previously like you would never ever manage tottenham uh that you were a chelsea person like through and through what changed and he responds like they sacked me Like that's a great like one line answer that completely diffuses the situation and is a very good answer and i don't know like is that like the type of answer he always gives or was that a a chosen one to show how charming he can be
1: that is i think that's exactly i think things are very i don't know who had final cut on this thing or whether like dan levy or or, um or or josie had had an influence on what was shown on screen but the important thing to remember is as great as josie looks in this documentary and he does look great it's the josie marino he wants you to see it may not necessarily be the Jose Mourinho that they see day in, day out at the Enfield training ground. It may not be. I can't believe that he isn't grumpy at least three or four days out of the week, frankly. And particularly yeah. with everything that's going on, particularly with the amount of injuries they had, particularly with the season, the kind of season they had, I can't believe there weren't more instances where he was a bit grumpy and um, <laughs> not not as uh,
0: camera-friendly, should we say. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, he he, he I think, was... Was ready for it coming in, and I think was ready to, to work with the camera crews. That's why he, we get to see him unpacking his whole office. Seems a little cluttered to me, i got to say, in that first episode. Lots the of office. trophies, lots of little symbols from, from his career. He's got a lot of stuff going on in that office.
1: Would you prefer a more minimalist approach? Do do you you remember the David Moyes picture in the Manchester United
0: office where he just had, like, a mouse pad (laughs) and that was it? No, that looked like a person doing a stadium tour. I think (laughs) I would have liked... Like, he appeared to have an empty salt shaker with him, which clearly has significance, and I wonder what it is. I wouldn't have minded knowing what some of those things were. Or, like... Some of the photos he's kept in newspaper, Like, he appeared to have a signed photo of, of uh, Vinnie Jones grabbing Paul Gascoigne in, in that, like, like, mound of photos that he unearthed in the first episode. And I want to know yeah. who signed that one. Is it Vinnie Jones or Paul Gascoigne, or is it both? And what was the scenario in which it was signed? I
1: would
2: watch Fun a whole fact, episode about Taylor. that.
0: Fun fact, I have that print framed on my wall, signed by both. Do you really? I do really. All right, well, then let's pause this and figure it out, right? What was the scenario in which... Did you have them both in the same place? Did you run into them in different moments? No,
1: I purchased the picture. Ah, there we are.
0: (laughs) I hope he did the same thing. I hope you both bought from the same lot. That would make me very, very happy. I have, I, but I will actually say I'm
1: going off topic, but I have actually acquired both uh, people's signatures independently in different circumstances. Vinnie Jones, because I used to go and watch Wimbledon train, and he told me to go away once when I asked for his shirt on the last day of training, uh, which because uh, on the last day of training, traditionally the players would give away all their training kit because they're getting a new kit for the next season. He told me to go away, uh, but he did sign my stuff. And Paul Gascoigne. when I was 10 years old, I went to Planet Hollywood for my birthday. He was on the next table with jimmy five bellies and i think this was when he was at rangers um we we were there for the whole meal and he didn't have any food he just had lots and lots and lots of bottles of beer he was lovely and he gave me 10 pounds
0: i mean that there you go what more do you need we need more people like jimmy five bellies we need nicknames like that in modern soccer we don't get that as much
1: (laughs) jimmy five bellies oh and have you heard the, the my favourite Jimmy Five Belly story is when Paul Gascoigne was at Lazio, um, and he would send Jimmy out to come and visit him sometimes. One time he, he sent he flew him out to uh, Rome, but he bought his ticket via Tokyo. <laughs> Why? Just to mess with him. He he flew him to Rome, but he All flew right. him
0: from London via Tokyo because he thought it'd be funny. Uh, hey. More power to him. The only problem, I think, with Jimmy Fivebellies would be that if he were playing for Spurs, Jose Mourinho apparently doesn't like three names. He only wants short names. Uh, I want to talk about that in the first episode, if you don't mind. The sort of, I think, early effort to show that he's a nice guy. To show the team to some extent, like, you don't need to be terrified of me. I'm not quite so prickly as you might think. And so you get the kind of teasing Kyle Walker Peters about which is it Walker or Peters? He says both. Mourinho responds, that's too long, man. And there's too long, man. Yeah, there's a lot of those moments of him sort of trying to, I think, bring some levity to the situation and to show like, hey, it's it's gonna be better. I'm gonna kind of get everybody going. And I think to some extent it works. My question then, what did you make of his interactions with Daliali? Because that he has been a very captivating Uh, figure in this documentary. Captivating is a strange word to use because at times he is almost devoid of emotion, which makes him strangely not captivating, which then makes him captivating. It's a strange cycle. But Jose Mourinho beginning his training session by essentially saying, like, you're really lazy and I know it, but kind of joking about it, I thought was maybe mind games, but maybe also sort of addressing a situation right up front.
1: Yeah, this was um, a curious insight into Jose Mourinho's management style because, as you say, he was saying, you're fantastic, you're very important to the team, but also, you're the worst at training. Mm -hmm. You're rubbish. Yeah. Be better. And I don't... um, Or maybe that's worked with other players and he found that motivating, but it it did seem very interesting to sort of poke at him and say, you know, you're a bit rubbish, aren't you? And I will say, Delhi, for me, my passionate burning hatred for him has softened quite a lot. Um, My... Passionate, burning hatred comes from the fact that he's a product of MK Dons and will therefore always be a terrible human being. But um, and sort of the stories you hear about Delhi and stuff it didn't it, I thought didn't quite reconcile with the person that we saw on camera, who is very well spoken, uh, who does seem to have his head screwed on the right way, and does seem to be pretty important for the team. I'm I've got a
0: newfound respect for Delhi Ali. I, so I do as well. Uh, I still find him to be slightly odd, but I think where that comes from is the, it's in the first couple episodes is when he's on the trainer's table and he asks, like, how do you brush your teeth? And there's a whole conversation about when do you wet the toothbrush and do you re-wet the toothbrush that I thought was like, is he actually asking how people brush their teeth? And then what I realized watching a few more episodes is... I think when you're a professional athlete, you have to go to the physio all the time and here's this person just like sort of like giving you a massage for probably an hour. And I think a lot of players, it looks seems like look at their phones or on their tablets or whatever, just kind of stare off into space. He does seem to be a little bit more like I'm going to engage with you socially since you are a human and we're sort of should be interacting, which leads to weird things like the nonsense chocolate bars that they were discussing. Ryan, what are these chocolate bars? I've never heard of a single one of the ones that they were discussing.
1: Yeah, they were all European chocolate bars. I dime? was about to ask Drifter? you if Those are not chocolate bar. bars. A dime bar is like a continental one. It's like quite hard. Like you'd snap your teeth on it. I think it's, which is the point they make in it. Uh, crunchy is, do you have crunchies?
0: Um, we have okay. nestle crunch is that the same thing
1: no okay uh, so crunchy is kind of <laughs> so <honeycomb>. dismissive
0: <laughs> no come on man
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> a crunchy is like a chocolate bar but it's inside it's like honeycomb and it's very very delicious oh so disgusting um, got it cool and the one he says like if you in your top three if you have bounty then you're a terrible person deliberately is 100 percent accurate there i don't know if you have bounty bars here but they are coconut flavored oh so it's an almond joy they're hot garbage
0: uh well here's the problem with that Ryan is that you're absolutely incorrect because Almond Joy is my favorite (laughs) candy bar (laughs) wait is that got coconut in it yeah Almond Joy Oh, Mounds is just coconut and chocolate uh Almond Joy is coconut chocolate almond okay well me
1: me and Deli Ali against you on this one frankly
0: it seems so what's your go-to chocolate bar then
1: Crunchy is very high on the list. Uh I'm I like a Mars bar, which over here is called a Milky Way. And a so, Milky Way is different right, in the all UK. All right. We we
0: that. agree on that one. My wife detests Milky Way and that might be my favorite uh, chocolate bar. That and Cookies and Cream, also not bad. Not bad either. Uh, there's an orange chocolate one that you all have. I forget which one that one is. It's always in the British section of the grocery store. Terry's Chocolate Orange. It's delicious. Yeah. That one, that one I'm, I'm a fan of as well. But Dime, Drifter, and Crunchy seemed like it almost felt like a TV show not getting the licenses to the actual candy bar <laughs> names. So they had to give like sort of vague descriptions of the candy bars. But that aside, I actually went from thinking like Deli Ali's a psychopath who's asking people how they brush their teeth. They're like oh he's just trying to make conversation because otherwise you're just sitting there for hours on end in silence
1: yeah uh, maybe he's one of those guys who can't shut up and brings up a name stuff i bet he does a lot of would you rathers do you think he does a lot of would you Rather? yes
0: i absolutely do because there's also the part where he talks about how he's trying to like civilize sarah jorier um <laughs> and then there's the part where he i think hits kyle walker peter's car but goes into an elaborate explanation as to why it's not his fault because certain rules regarding lights weren't obeyed i don't know I couldn't tell if that was him explaining things away, and it was a prelude to, because I think the episode before that ended with, uh, you know, people aren't taking accountability for their actions, and the next episode begins with him literally saying, like, that car accident wasn't my fault, but nothing (laughs) came of that, so I feel like it wasn't setting up some drama later on, just a curious moment.
1: The way I thought about that was that they all just shrugged it off and said, we're all very rich and can repair a car very quickly, it's all good.
0: That I had to remind myself of that, that they're all on such high wages that and there's probably somebody in this in the club whose job it is to, uh, you know, just deal with that. Like, go out and get him a new car really quickly and make it work. That is another thing that I've enjoyed is is seeing all of the behind the scenes people and how many I think Daniel Levy says they employ 600 people or thereabouts at this point. But how much of that relates to player well-being, I think is a very modern thing because I go back to Nick uh, Nicholas Anelka talking about, I think it was when he moved to Madrid, that there was nobody there to help him. There was nobody there helping him find an apartment or figure out where he wanted to live or figure out what the city was like or how to get to training. And mm-hmm. it was this immediate obstacle. And in contrast to that, Spurs seem to have people who will do anything and everything to make the players not have to worry about anything other than playing football. So if you're bringing your whole family with you, if you're Steven Bergwine, Fine. Yeah. We'll find you an apartment. I don't know how that's an apartment It felt like a very palatial estate, but whatever. <laughs> um, the the staff that they have to do that. The other one that I would maybe watch an entire documentary about are the people who are responsible for cleaning out the manager's office before the new manager arrives. That whole <laughs> sequence in the first episode Was it's just a thing I've never thought about. Like, yeah, of course that happens. Somebody has to go in and clean out that office. It's not going to be the sacked manager because that's humiliating. So there must be a a group of people who are responsible for like getting everything in boxes the right way and then bringing in the new manager stuff in boxes the right way. Uh, lots of jobs going on and I thought that was pretty interesting.
1: That is really interesting. And as you mentioned, Steve Bergwine having, having the, um, person, sort of the realtor guy, you know, getting him an apartment. And I think I read that Manchester City has a whole office which just, mollycoddles and wraps in cotton wool all their players it pays their bills for them it does everything they could need when they arrive they don't have to do, think of anything except kicking a ball which is quite good but also probably offers them no real life skills in any way and one one thing I'd also add is that the players all seem to just live in the. It looks like they live in the future. They yeah. play in this really fancy, shiny, beautiful stadium. Their training complex is also brand spanking new. There's like high glass everywhere. They sit in this fancy canteen with giant screens where they seem to watch themselves on Sky Sports News all day. It all just looks very high end and like they live in. They live in a completely different world. There's there's no grittiness in a Tottenham player's life whatsoever.
0: No, to the extent that when you're watching. Um, you can always tell when they're playing at home versus away because in the press conference, it's like this state-of-the-art, uh, it looks like Blade Runner behind Jose Mourinho. And then yeah. when they go to Burnley, it's like, oh, no, that is Burnley Stadium. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I can see the contrast there. Uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about from the first episode? The only other thing I had was sort of that I feel like we get a little bit of a glossed-over uh, understanding of Jose Mourinho figuring out his squad because there are moments when I think like uh, it's brought to his attention that Jan Vertonghen and Musa Sissoko are like central locker room figures, and he seems sort of taken aback by that. Yeah, and I don't really know why that was the case. I don't. We don't go further into it. Uh, maybe it's that he didn't plan on starting Sissoko, and and now he feels like that might have been a mistake, or maybe he didn't even have him in the squad. But I, I did kind of want to see him figuring out his team a little bit more, and I have to assume that that is Mourinho being smart and giving them good sound bites and, and being game for reshooting stuff, so he's swearing at the uh, people on Sky and then turning it off, but maybe not as forthcoming with his actual process of managing a team.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And I think the other thing I'd, I'd add in episode one, I think it's episode one where we get the C-word rant. Um, which was leaked uh, a few weeks before the uh, documentary came out. It's, he says it's kind of getting into it. He wants the team to be horrible. And I've made this point before that everything's a little bit vanilla at Tottenham. And it seems to be something that Jose Mourinho has identified. He wants them to be meaner on the field. And the quote was, there must be something wrong with this team because I've played many games against you and you never insulted me. Yeah. You have to be a bunch of C-words, not stupid C-words, clever C-words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that Josie—that's a frequent word that comes up in the Josie Munier word cloud in this uh, in this documentary. But it does sort of get to the point, and he makes he makes this point several times throughout the documentary that he wants them to be a bit meaner. And I think is it episode one where he identifies that only Eric Dyer is the one who's sort of up for
0: a fight, which yeah. we've
1: learned spills into the stand sometimes during this yes, season as does. well.
0: Yeah, he seems to like yeah immediately be interested in Eric Dyer, I think because, yeah, he has the, the, the scrap mentality. We also find out in the second episode that he speaks fluent Portuguese, which I knew he was like, came up through the Portuguese system, played yeah. for uh, Sporting Club de Portugal, did not realize the fluency of Portuguese. I thought that was pretty f- compelling. Seeing how many languages all of these players speak was shocking to me, because Serge Aurier has at least three, maybe four. Didn't see yep. that one coming, and there's a few other ones who have three, four, five languages under their belts. That is quite the achievement. It is impressive, and I think it's
1: impressive how um, the foreign players assimilate to British English. If you yes. know what I mean, like the way um, uh, Christian Eriksson drops in, mate. Yeah, that's that's a Harry's right foot, two hundred million pounds, mate. And like he's sort of it's it's quite adorable the way they sort of, and I suppose Josie does it too with with the, his effing and jeffing all the time. It's the sort of way the way of British soccer, the way people talk to each other. But if we're going to talk about accents, Ben Davies, I don't know if you picked up on it, but. I couldn't figure out, I know where he's from, but I couldn't figure out where he's from. It sounded like he was from like Denmark or something. I know he spent time in Scandinavia and he's Welsh, but like his accent, he's, he's got the intonation and cadence of someone from like far away from the mm-hmm. UK. He, that baffled me quite a lot.
0: Much more still to come from myself and Mr. Ryan Bailey, but first, a word from The Athletic's own
2: Sam Staskel. Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Staskel from The Athletic. I don't know about you, but I never, ever forget my morning cup of coffee. I need that to get going, to start each and every day. It's great. Gets me kick-started. Gets my day off on the right foot. Unfortunately, I often forget to follow up that morning coffee with a nice glass of water and I often find myself feeling a little bit dehydrated throughout the day and playing a little bit of a game of catch-up when it comes to hydration. I'm not alone there. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. That's changing for me because I've started using Liquid IV. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water on your own. It's a little sixteenth ounce packet. Tastes great. Different flavors. You just pour it into a glass of water. Boom gets you hydrated real quick I've enjoyed it I've been using it for a while now definitely helps if I've had a few drinks the night before have one of those before I go to sleep wake up feeling fresh as a daisy ready to go the next morning I'm enjoying Liquid IV I think you'll enjoy it too it's available nationwide at Costco and Target you can actually get 25% off if you buy online when you go to liquidiv.com and use code athletic at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code athletic at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com. Promo code athletic.
0: It's 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 a it's an interesting thing in which like there's always the joke about like the exchange student who goes to Spain for 2 months and comes back and will never not say like <laughs> Barcelona and and speaks <laughs> with that accent. I get that joke, but simultaneously, like, if you are, like, Gio Reyna and you're around, well, Gio is a bad example because it's Germany, but if you're an American going to a British team and you're only around that accent and people who have that accent and that's how they all interact, you are going to start saying mate. You're probably going to say quid. You're going to say things here and there. You're going to pick up little intonations that I think maybe people will criticize you for or tease you for. But I get it, because if it's what you're around all the time, you're going to end up sort of mirroring that I wouldn't say mimicking I would say mirroring because it's what you hear you don't necessarily want to stand out in the wrong way Mm -hmm. so you end up sort of assimilating which is maybe then didn't mean for this to happen but a good transition to talk about that complacency issue that lack of meanness the fact that Jose wants them to be uh curse words uh that like I I kept going back to that and being confused by it because the Guardian a while ago had a conversation about a team and, like, are they cursed? And I think Barry Glendening was like, maybe they are. And that led to a whole thing about, like, well, you think there's a witch's curse? You think that's what's happening here, Barry? <laughs> like, And and I buy into that idea to some extent that, like, that's just an oversimplification. It's a way of getting around and not having to really dove into what would be a very difficult topic. But talking to people, talking to ex-pros... It does seem like that can happen, that if there's a vibe of, like, it's good enough, like, we're all kind of vibing, we're all getting along well, we're doing what we need to do. If you come into that and you are – if Roy Keane comes into Tottenham – Roy Keane, again, might be a bad example, but a very vocal, it's got to be better, it's got to be better person – and you don't feel like everybody else has that mentality, it becomes either you keep that and you're the odd man out, or you sort of assimilate. You kind of soften that standing. Maybe you wonder like, oh, maybe I don't need to be that way. Maybe I've got it wrong. And I do wonder if that's what Jose Mourinho is talking about, that comparing Chelsea training sessions or Real Madrid training sessions or even Inter Milan training sessions to what he sees at Spurs, he just feels like there's not that killer instinct. There's not that ruthlessness when it comes to competition that he wants to see. Is that possible, do you think? Yeah, I think it's perfectly possible. One thing that's just occurred to me is do
1: you think he 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 sees a lack of a real mean, badass leader as well? There's no yes. Sergio Ramos, there's no, you know, I don't know, Matarazzi, there's no there's no big player in the back who's going to really take command of things i like it's like vatongan too nice
0: is that yeah the, is actually that the maybe you've maybe you've you've uncovered it as to why he seems surprised that it was sissoko and Vertongan who command the locker room is because maybe he's expecting it to be sergio ramos or john terry or frank lampard people who you know are going to raise that standard and maybe that's why we see say sissoko bring sergio Aria a cupcake for his birthday it's very sweet <laughs> it made me love musa sissoko if i'm building a team i might sign him first but that <laughs> might also not be the edge that Jose Mourinho wants from his locker room figures, which maybe also explains why Jan Vertongan no longer plays there.
1: <laughs> Indeed. And yeah, along with several other people we find out in this uh well yeah. we we knew already, but we see uh some s- some incidents here. What episode are we talking about now? Are we on to uh, we've we've now? kind
0: of been heading towards episode two without actually getting there and jumping around a little bit. My only <laughs> notes really from that for second episode would be we've got uh the first game against West Ham, first goal um, exactly like he was drawing up in the training session where he wanted Dele Ali to kind of turn on or like do the half turn and play the ball quickly that's where that yep. goal comes from so i did feel like that was good like construction showing us how his training was actually helping the thing that I, my major note from episode 2 is i get why managers hate english journalists um not because they're invasive not because they like ask blunt questions it's because they do this weird monologue that isn't a question so they'll do this, like, Deli LE has obviously struggled this season and hasn't been up to snuff and hasn't really satisfied fans the way we've expected, and then that's it. And it's just yeah. sort of like, is there a question there, or are you just delivering a monologue and then it's up to Jose Mourinho to agree or disagree? And I think knowing that, that managers really hate being told what they're doing or being told the reality of things because it's not their reality— so many of those questions I made me physically uncomfortable because it was just like, oh, he's going to hate that.
1: <laughs> but I think there's those people have asked questions of Mourinho for years. That is and probably they know true. How to get they they're trying to get the rise
0: out of him, right? That is probably true. That is seeing those sort of media scrums that I forget happen where they bring in a few journalists to kind of debrief. Yes. I forget that that's a thing. I would love to be in on one of those. I do enjoy the journalists who are clearly aware that the cameras are filming and they're and they're sort of like you can see them sit up and have better posture when the camera's suddenly on them. <laughs> I, I thought that I thought that was pretty good too. But the the interaction with the media is one that I wouldn't mind there being more of because as we've already said, Jose Mourinho keeps coming across as this affable, genteel figure who wants to take time to explain that his dog passed away, and that's why he's in a bad mood. It's not because he's mad at them, but we know that he can be angry. We know that he has issues with players and issues with uh, owners that he does not keep secret with other clubs. So seeing him sort of handle aggressive questions with a like smile and a charming line, I'm going to guess there are moments cut out where he was just like, this is a stupid question, next. And and they just don't want to do that.
1: Yeah, for every for every smile and, and nod, there's going to be some dismissiveness for sure. For mm. sure, we've seen we've seen Mourinho presses. We know how they go. Um, yeah, it's, that's an interesting point about the press as well. And I did notice a couple times where I was thinking, "Is there a question?" And they just they just teeing up yep. for him to say something rather than actually trying to get. Is an answer to a question directly.
0: Yeah. Is, yeah. And you can see how that would then go that if they attack Dele Ali and he doesn't defend him, then it's Jose Mourinho condemns Dele Ali. And if he does yeah. defend him, then it seems like Jose Mourinho is off off on one about how good Dele Ali is out of nowhere, when in reality, yeah, somebody's just said a very inflammatory thing. Those are kind of my two takeaways from the second episode, other than that there are moments when it seems as though people still don't know how to deal with Jose Mourinho. He keeps trying to pinch Serge Aurier's cheek. For some reason, he does that throughout the series, and Aurier never seems to enjoy it, and it keeps happening. <laughs> uh, so little like uh, personal relationship moments I thought were pretty interesting. Anything else from the second episode for you, Ryan? Let's move on. All right, let's move on to episode three. So to some extent, I feel like a lot of this, and maybe this is your point, blends together. It, Because it, it, you know that, yes, Tottenham are on a run, they start really well, but you know it's going to turn, you know there's going to be problems. And it seems like it kind of just keeps waffling back and forth. And to your point, we don't have them challenging for a title. We don't have them battling relegation. They, Knowing the way things go when they're trying to build the, like, will it be the FA Cup? Will it be the Champions League? Like, it was so decisively not the Champions League, and we haven't yet gotten that game against Leipzig that does not go well. Um, <laughs> but I think, yes, yeah, so then to some extent, it's it's less important to do, like almost like, an episode-by-episode episode thing. That's why I just have a few notes for each one, because... There's a lot of overlap. There's not really a, like, episode two is this, episode three is this. Uh My big one is just, again, that I want to see more of his team talks, especially in this one. We start seeing him be encouraging, but we don't see as much tactical instruction. We see a little bit of it when he has Serge Aurier stepping higher. We can see it on the whiteboard, and it has that result. So I wouldn't mind seeing more of the changes he makes and why he makes them. Uh, Eric yeah. Dyer being a very, a very big one that he goes from being this like, oh, he's a very good player. He's going to be critical to being subbed out in the first half. We sort of gloss over that pretty quickly.
1: You know, what I found interesting and it's something I'm not sure that players care about is that Josie in his team talks seems to talk about we, we're X points behind Chelsea. Yeah. We are If we get this many points, we're back in the top four. Do you think the players care about that? Or would they, think, just, would they be better motivated by saying, you know, let's get another goal and let's win this game? I think if I, if I was an employee of Tottenham, call me cynical, but I just want to win, and I wouldn't be like thinking, oh, we be, we get within one point of Chelsea if we win this game, and it seemed that seemed a bit like a, a Jose Mourinho problem rather than a Tottenham players' problem.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's it's a thing that he has definitely hung his hat on. Is if we get to the Champions League. I'm sure the line would have been, that is the same as winning a trophy. And so I think it's, it's all about closing that gap and showing that he has turned things around and made things work and to some extent eradicated the issues that were endemic under uh, Mauricio Pochettino, at least near the end. And instead, I think those issues keep popping up. And so juxtaposed with that, like, we're six points behind, we're four points behind, we're six points behind. Last week, we were 12 points behind. Like, it it does make that sort of less compelling because it is, at the end of the day, the race for the top four versus why are the, these, like, it seems like systemic issues that cannot be weeded out. Where are they coming from? Who are the bad eggs? That probably gets to the Danny Danny uh, Ings, or excuse me, Danny Rose conversation. Not Danny yeah. Ings. Danny Ings would probably help them a lot this season, given all the injuries. Um, anything else from episode three or thereabouts? Is episode three where the Tottenham loss to Chelsea happens? Yes, and so it's on is, red card.
1: So we get Hillman's on red card. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think it was possible to love Hillman's Son anymore, but this series has made me love him even more. He's right. fantastic, isn't he? But um, the, one of the humorous moments was when we see him go down, well, it's not dramatic moments, is when you know, he gets the red card, goes down the tunnel and sits in the, um, sits in the dressing room on his own, which is really, really compelling stuff. But it's his reaction like, Oh no! Way was that a red card? How is that possibly a red card? And within about a few minutes, it's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. That was totally a red card. Yeah. So that, that heat at the moment absolutely justified. Was it Rudiger he kicked out? At the, it yeah. was. It was com- like a complete hundred percent red card. Yeah. The disbelief that he was sent off for lashing out like that, co- and then once he calms down and he's out of the heat at the moment, it's like, yeah, lads, uh, I've I've let you down. And then they go on and. Um, what, they, they draw with Norwich, and they, they, they miss him. They, I think they lose to Southampton without him as well. So they really they really miss him, and it's quite
0: detrimental to the team. It's, it, that was a very interesting moment. I, I said this to Dara on the show. Uh, we're recording this again Friday, so last night, but last week, if you're listening to this when it comes out, which you would be. Um, that felt to me like a really interesting insight into uh, Son Heung-min because it, it comes at a time when Jose Mourinho is saying, like, you've got to be nasty, you've got to be mean, and I think you can see the players that Mourinho feels like are responding to him and like are appreciating what he's asking of them, and I think Harry Kane is certainly one of them, I think Dele Alli is one of them, I think, um, and Son Heung-min is definitely one of them, and to some yeah. extent I felt like that was him being a little bit nasty being a little bit aggressive but then getting caught and that tends to be when that reaction comes out in my experience is when you think you were clever but you're sort of embarrassed when it's very obvious that you you did this thing and he did whether or not it was slight it was a he lifts that leg and he there is contact he knows what he's doing i think and so yeah it's it's a strange moment of like oh you're really angry maybe a little bit too much but that also gets to like a thing that I think is really uh, – that I've enjoyed at least is that it's been so long because this season has been so long. That First of all, like I forgot Pachettino was the manager at the beginning of the season. That's how long <laughs> it's been. But then they're, like, it's been so long since these moments happened that I've kind of forgotten them. But as they happen, I go back to it and I'm like, wait. Wait, that, no, that was definitely a red card. Like, why are we painting it yeah. this way? And that was that was one of them. The other one, which uh, I guess I'll hold off on for now, relates to uh, Christian Erickson, who who is an interesting character in this one. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought the the red card moment was uh, one of the more, like, dramatic things for non-dramatic reasons. Just the sort of human moment of him realizing yeah. the ramifications. I thought that was very, very good.
1: I'm talking uh, yeah, about that's all drama. I had from episode three. Yeah, talking about drama, I think it's around this time. I think we had the, the, the win over the comeback win against Brighton, and I think the, the draw with Norwich, both of which were sort of comebacks. And I think the way they couched those in this, they made them look a lot more dramatic than they were, mm-hmm. which was, you know, pretty scrappy games from what I can remember around Christmas time. Um, so they, they did a good job of presenting. Less perilous games as being super important. I yeah. love the... I, I'll, I'll say I really love the footage they get from the sidelines, that lovely ISO camera stuff. And they, you know, when they intersperse it with the commentary, I think that, that's really worth watching. And there was one of the early episodes where they had this lovely little flick on from Deli Ali, which I'd never seen before from that mm-hmm. angle. And it was just like, wow, this yeah. is good stuff.
0: The other and, thing I've... Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say one more thing on Hume Min Son. I think it come, comes up later on when he fractures his arm. And there's some more sort of sunny related uh, peril. And uh, there's a conversation they're having with the physios. Yeah. And they're all like, uh, he's like, I, I don't want to miss a game, guys. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're never going to miss a game. No, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to miss
0: games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think they're t- I, the physio interactions we'll get to in a moment because yeah. – Again, I I feel like if somebody's getting sacked from that team uh, or someone gets thrown under the bus, it's going to be the medical squad. Uh, And I think maybe that (laughs) is partially justified given some of the injuries they deal with. I think it's also Jose Mourinho uh, being Jose Mourinho. Uh, What I did enjoy, going back to the the cameras and the sidelines and and the filming of the matches, is like you see why so many managers have said that football without fans isn't football. And I have kind of felt like that was – I know what they're getting at. But it has also felt like an easy way to gain support with the supporters to say, like, it doesn't really matter if people aren't there. But watch the way the coaches celebrate, and it is almost always to the crowd. It is almost always turning and being like, yeah, we did it, and, like, yeah. g them up and wanting that atmosphere, wanting that intensity. I think that's a thing that that squad thrives off of, and I think it's a way that Mourinho is trying to get that team to have more fight, to have more motivation, is to get that crowd to be the same way. And so you see how much of a connection there is in those moments, in those big moments, and I then understand why it's, it's a harder thing to do to get these teams up and get them going, especially. With some of these early games, it's why, as we record this, we're about to have the Premier League kick off. There's probably going to be some sloppy starts because you don't have that immediate level of intensity and pressure on you. Uh, So, seeing the the importance of the crowd was not a thing I really expected, but is one thing that I definitely enjoyed.
1: Well, on the on on that, and I think there's an element of Jose Mourinho it's showing the way he's a good motivator. Not only does he motivate the players, but he can motivate the crowd turning around to them to G up support. That's quite important when you're mm-hmm. in the stadium. I remember as a Wimbledon fan, you know, back when we were in the premier league and it feels a chant going the manager at the time, Joe Kinnear, who obviously is a crazy person, but back then he was fantastic. Um, would turn around quite often and sort of wave his arms like, "Come on, let's get chanting!" Like make it, like try and get the crowd to make more noise. And he'd do that quite often. And I think that it can't be underestimated how the manager is sometimes a conductor yeah. for the crowd in the stadium as well. And I think Mourinho does that well.
0: I think Mourinho does it very, very well. He's the conductor in the stadium with the crowd. I guess the conductor for Tottenham's front office would be Daniel Levy. We move to episode four <laughs> and his. <laughs> christmas speech such as it was uh ryan you want to talk about that one yeah so that episode four opens
1: with it's christmas time um and Le- levy giving us uh, giving um uh, is it like some sort of staff evening or something yeah. or some awards thing um and he's on stage i asked santa for a few things this year that's my daniel levy voice a top four finish and to win a trophy and yay the crowd cheers but all I could think was oh, Santa does not like Daniel Levy no he does not he did not give him his wishes um, which is obviously an interesting moment to put in the documentary with, with hindsight but what do you th- I want to talk about this of, yeah what do you think of Daniel Levy because I I, I, yeah. I can't work out if I like him or not, there's something slightly slimy about him. there's something very managed about the way he's presented in this as yes. way he walks into the room as he's a best friend. And when, you know, when Bergwin signed, he's walking in, Hey, Hey, hey do you want, here's the phone. And mm-hmm. he, and when he sits and eats in the canteen with everybody and sort of holds court where players will walk up to his table and sort of offer their offerings to him, and then walk away. It's all, it's very odd. The relationship he has with that team.
0: I don't mean for this to be as much of a burn as it's going to be, but he is very similar to Charlie Methan from Sunderland Until I Die. Not in terms of his, like, <laughs> complete, like, I don't, like, I'm, I want techno blaring for, to get everybody hyped for the game, but in that sort of schmoozing... Is interacting with lots of people, but you get this impression that there is a ruthlessness to him that you are not seeing. Because he is known as like the most notorious negotiator. He will not budge. He will get the price he wants. It yep. is difficult to get Tottenham players. That is the reputation. And you see that in moments. You see that in flashes. There is, to go to the Bergwijn uh, unveiling for a moment... He gives the uh, you know the phone to him. Jose Mourinho's there. Jose Mourinho's talking to the parents, yeah. and he leave. He's very like very sweet, smiling. And at the end of it, is like, don't let him down now. Don't disappoint him. It'd be very bad if he oh, disappointed him. All, all through there. like a grin, but you can tell that there's an element of like, I'll kill your family. Don't mess yeah. up. Like it is. There is that sort of like lethalness there that I think that they're not showing by instead showing him being approachable in the canteen and Danny Rose coming up and being like, any latest on the news of my move, which. Knowing how much that dust-up happened, I feel like maybe that was another one that was sort of reshot for, for purposes to make everybody look better. But Didn't, um- it's, it's been one of the more like head-turning moments for me in this show is, is when a notoriously ruthless front office executive is sort of coming across as an affable everyman.
1: Yeah, that was. I think you've really picked up on the moment when he said, "Don't, don't let Jose down," as mm-hmm. walking away as if to say, "Yeah, you, you're, you're going to be in real trouble if you do." You wouldn't want to let
0: him down now, would you? W- yeah. With
1: that Danny Rose interaction in the canteen, didn't Rose ask him how, how's the move to Milan going? Yeah. And he was like oh, you should yeah. look more towards Newcastle than yep. to the end It's like, set your sights a little lower, Danny, was kind of the, uh, the imprint from that conversation. <laughs> Bless him. Uh, that, was, that was quite amusing. My um, other
0: weird note on uh, Daniel Levy is that uh, the man likes a starched shirt. He likes a very starched, big white shirt. Uh, that, mm. that kept standing out to me. He's like, why is his collar standing perfectly upright uh, after he's been working a full day? I imagine it's it's fairly uncomfortable. That is a, a strange observation, but another one from episode four. What else did you notice in episode four, Ryan? We will get to Ryan's thoughts on Episode 4 in just a moment. Spoiler alert, he liked it. But first, today's episode is brought to you in part by LinkedIn. Small businesses have unique needs, that is true. And despite their current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. I would agree with that. I feel like I've got the right people in the form of Daryl and Ryan. Uh, When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. If you are seeking employment but you're feeling maybe like you don't have the necessary skills or you want to just brush up a little bit i was browsing the site today one thing i thought was pretty cool is that they offer online training and courses relating to sort of modern areas of need like after effects html python excel and photoshop uh, to name just a few there are many more it makes getting your head around new topics slightly easier or if you need to refresh or just brush up a tiny bit you could do that too and they make it easier than ever to post openings if you're an employer with that in mind when your business is ready to make the next hire find the right person with linkedin jobs you You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash TSS. Again, that's linkedin.com slash TSS to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do, of course, apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Ryan's thoughts on episode four.
1: I thought this is one of the better episodes, actually. You start with the Christmas speech. Uh, Mm -hmm. This had one of the best sequences in it, which was Tanganga coming in. And yep. they, so this is one of the things I wish they'd done more of, yep. focusing more on the players. This was like the story of a local boy, local boy done good, get, getting a promotion up to the main squad and having a really good debut. And, you know, they, they, there was a curious bit of voiceover where um, uh, they, uh, Richard Attenborough said, Tottenham's Academy is one of the best in the world. And that hung with me for a moment. <laughs> I mean, they've got youngsters coming through. They've got a few. Sure, is one of them um, and that, that was very nice but also this was the moment where D- Jose Mourinho showed his abject despair of his poor little doggy dying his dog yes. died on Christmas Eve and it was quite sweet of him where he walked into the room saying you know this is none of your fault that I'm in a really bad mood my dog died yesterday and you saw all the players coming in on Christmas Day in the evening didn't yeah. you for, for, for training and they did an evening training session in the dark which gives you an interesting insight into the life of a Premier League player who yeah. if, if those players are in their mid-twenties, they would have never known a
0: normal Christmas, basically. I mean, that's... that's, Sissoko says that about New Year's Eve, right? That it's like, Yeah. yeah, this is... So I think he... I forget who he's talking to. I think it's a family member. I don't think they tell us. Although it seems to be another professional who's in France. But he says like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't get to be with your family. He's like, oh, no, this is normal. This is how it is every year. Like, I'm in a hotel room before a game. It's how it goes. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Those moments where you see how bizarre the professional footballers' lives are, Mm -hmm. It's not a thing that you ever really think about it because you just assume like, yeah, they're millionaires. Everything's fine. And I just keep going back to these are all really young guys who are like dealing with issues that I think we all sort of dealt with. They're just way more intense and magnified because they're massive but it's still like finding a house making sure your family is taken care of making sure you feel connected to your family making sure that your boss likes the work you're doing and feels like it's good enough worrying about a new boss coming in and are they going to like me as much like it's it's relatable problems that humanize the players in a way that i think it's easy to forget about when we're just watching them kick a ball
1: Definitely, and that's why I think this is one of the better episodes because there was more of that, more of the player Mm. focus. And more of the sort of stuff, say, when you saw Sergio Aguero in the City um, All or Nothing, Mm. in his... In his apartment, alone, talking about how he never, seldom sees his son, and he lives alone, and it was all very Ronri, I'm so Ronri. and it was it was a kind of a, a sad moment and a, a quite poignant when you think of a Premier League star having everything at his fingertips and what he wants. And hey, they're normal, just like us sometimes. So that was yeah. interesting. Yeah, and then, the-
0: and then contrasting with Tanganga, who you mentioned earlier, as like yeah, has this support system, has his family there, is mm. coming through, and you can tell is sort of like doing his best to hide being almost overwhelmed by the moment but yes. then not letting it be the case and, and and sort of rising to the occasion and then it becomes normal but seeing him be like oh wow this is happening uh it, it was it was another part of that episode that i thought was really good
1: yeah very good very good and by the way just touching on Mourinho's dog once again yeah please um, this was the same dog The I I love the way he says Yorkshire Terrier. He's like Yorkshire Terrier or something like that. (laughs) It was it was wonderful the way Jose described his dog. This was Leia the dog who I don't know if you remember. A few years ago, almost got Jose Mourinho arrested. Do you remember that? No, I think it was when he was at Chelsea, and there was this thing where it was all on the news in the UK. It was quite big how the dog had (gasps) been taken to Portugal. And it had been brought back, but it hadn't quarantined. It hadn't had the necessary injections or its doggy passport or whatever. And basically, it was his wife who had smuggled the dog in or something. And there was this scene of, I seem to remember, he was on his doorstep with his dog. He's like, nope, you're not taking my dog. And like the police were there. And it was was a whole thing with uh, Josie and his little dog. And it it, it was his fierce loyalty towards this dog, who obviously meant, meant an awful lot to him. And that was quite a humanizing moment as well, wasn't it?
0: It was Harry Kane being like, what, what, "What kind of dog?" Like he, Harry Kane, trying really hard to like ask Jose questions, but I think at the same time being intimidated by him, yeah, was sort of a like, <laughs> "What what kind of dog was it?" Please don't get mad at me. Like I, I, again, I think you see the the human interaction, which is also shrouded in the. But you're Jose Mourinho, and I'm kind of terrified of you. So again, yeah, I think I think episode four. Very, very good. We moved to Episode 5 because Episode f- 4 ends with the transfer window opening. And now we get to the parts that I think a lot of people have either heard about or seen clips of because this is where we have the Danny Rose confrontation. It's where we have the Christian Erikson being a, a psychopath, maybe a little bit. <laughs> like, not in terms of losing his temper or anything, but uh, I'm kind of terrified of Christian Eriksson. We'll talk about him in a moment. First, do you want to talk about the players that come in? Should we talk Steven Bergwijn or should we talk Danny Rose?
1: uh you know, let's, let's go with Bergwine. He, okay. he comes in and you know all a all lot a lot of fanfare around him they build him up a lot with good cause because it turns out he has a fairly good debut mm-hmm. um and then they have all the stuff where they try and find him a house which is all quite fascinating behind the scenes stuff as well and Bergwine seems like um quite integral as Kane be, he Kane's injured at this point isn't he uh yes yeah so and that was a whole thing by the way that was interesting watching how the news. Of Kane's injury spread and how we saw it on the TV and Sky Sports News, like momentarily after sort of the training ground found out, that was the way it was presented anyway. And that makes you think, oh, they're they're in touch
0: with the media a lot more than you think on these kind of things. Actually, stay secret. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because nothing stays secret. And simultaneously, it's been interesting to see how like there isn't always as much communication as you would think. That there seems to be a lot of like, wait, what happened? Like when Pochettino was sacked there's that conversation with the players about like, did he know? And I think Harry Kane says like, no, he had no idea it was happening. Um, and like, nobody seems to know the actual story. When Harry Kane tears his hamstring, there is a little bit of a like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. Oh, I heard it wasn't that bad. Oh, actually I think it is bad, but I'm not like you don't get clear, concise stories right away. And that does explain to me how those leaks happen. Because as you have a bunch of people who know little pieces of information and they're trying to piece it all together, I think some of that can then leak out and you end up having the scenario you do. But yeah, Yeah, seeing words spread, Christian Erickson leaving, and it seems like a lot of people found out when suddenly it's announced on the TV. I'm sure that wasn't the case. I'm sure that's editing. But it is a reminder, again, that these are young guys who one minute you have a coworker, and the next minute that coworker has just moved on when they were there yesterday, and they seemed like they were going to be there for a while. It is another sign of like, oh, right, these guys live very strange lives that we really can't understand.
1: Yeah, and I think is there a clip of Fatonga talking about how his kids are settled in school and he doesn't, you know, and yeah. it, it's it's quite an upheaval when you have to suddenly move to a different country or whatnot, and which is quite under, you know, it's not quite as bad as in isn't it in baseball or sports out here where t- players get yeah. moved and they have no say in it and they're just like yeah. tomorrow you're going to Texas, yep. so it's not quite as bad as that, but it does it does reveal how you know these people are people with lives who have built lives in a certain place and. And I think that's quite. I think I was hearing that, like, say William moving across London. One of the reasons he stays in London is because mm-hmm. he's so settled there and he's got family yeah. there. So those are the kind of considerations you don't really think of when you tra- when you're thinking of transfer speculation and how these things work. So that was very interesting to see. And,
0: and for people who are new or like like still figuring out the intricacies of transfers because they are confusing. Yeah, it, it's worth noting. It's because in the United States the contract moves with the player. So if you have a five year deal with one team and you get traded to another one, that deal goes mm. in Europe and most of the world you have to agree to a new deal which is why those moves can be sort of sudden and out of and out of nowhere because all of a sudden a deal is agreed the fees agreed and then suddenly that player is gone and it feels like a bigger thing when it happens quickly because yeah like moneyball has that scene where he tells the guy like yeah you're trading he's like okay and just gets up and leaves like it's part yeah. and parcel of the game less so uh, in european football for sure yeah. so again some of that like the personal moments stephen Bergwine bring his family with him and they're going to live with him Like, I think there's an element of like, what? You're 22. Like, why don't you have your own place? But it's like, yeah, you're 22. You're moving to another country. You have all this pressure on you. You're now a globally known name. You're probably going to want some familiar people to help you out and make sure that you're making the right choices and feel like you have people you can trust. So I really like that. And I think that scene made a lot of sense. But it's also interesting as he's coming in, we have the awkward confrontations. We have the departures. So let's talk Danny Rose for a moment because this was some uh to go back to it some keeping up with the kardashians level drama yeah and it made me have a lot more respect for danny rose
1: because he is not intimidated by jose Mourinho in the slightest and as i mentioned earlier i'm not sure if this this was reconstructed anyway or whether danny rose straight up went in there when there's a whole camera crew in there and and had this conversation but i was impressed with the way he handled himself and it it wasn't his um his first line in the in when he sat down something like what's your problem
0: I, I thought, yes, it was, my eyes got real big, because I expected it to be, we'd seen other ones, we have seen the Deli Ali conversation, where you can tell he's uncomfortable, you can tell Mourinho's kind of criticizing him, but it ends the way it ends. This one, yeah, he sits down and says, like, basically, Gaffer, I want to know what your problem is with me, yeah. because... Like, you're, I, I train well, you don't play me, I want to know what your problem is. Mourinho, I think, responds, like, I, I don't know what you mean, what do you mean? And he immediately says, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, he did, in, in, Mourinho in not a friendly time. way, in a, like, you know what, I'm, don't do this, do not play mind games with me. And I think that right there, that little tiny moment, says a lot. Because I think yeah. this is Danny Rose feeling like he has not had communication, things have not been explained to him, he doesn't understand why he's not in consideration and why he's not in contention, and here's Jose Mourinho being like what, what do you mean what what are you are you possibly referring to and i think that was a thing where we're supposed to see it as like him coming in and being demanding and he has view that he's like like above his station or whatever but here i think that frustration immediately is there and i think it colors the rest of the conversation
1: it's yeah it's a really interesting dynamic because as you say Danny Rose comes in hot and Jose Mourinho is um it reminded me of I, I, I Mourinho could have put a moustache on
0: and said, Josie, who is Josie?
3: I am guy incognito.
1: I don't
0: know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and, and I think the other thing I thought was really interesting, it's a tiny moment, but it stresses the importance of communication. Um, Josie then explains, like if, if people haven't seen it or people have forgotten – he essentially explains, like, yeah, like, I, you trained really, really well in that one week, so I put you in for the Liverpool game, and, and it wasn't a very good game. Later on in this conversation, Danny Rose says, like, all right, I was, like, I was S in that game. Uh, I don't really want to have to do the edit button, so I'm just going to say S. And Jose says, like, no, 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 no I didn't say that. And, the, and right there, it's a moment of Jose Mourinho doesn't want Danny Rose to think, like, oh, you think I'm really bad. You think I'm not good. Yeah. All Danny Rose is trying to say is, like, I concede. I was not good that game. I get it. And, like, I'll go so far as to say I was really, really poor. I was absolute S. But in that moment, that's where I think Danny Rose also gets really frustrated. It's because he's trying to say, like, right, okay, I was bad, but – like, I want to know what I need to do. And I think the, the Jose Mourinho saying like, well, no, you weren't that bad. It's like, that's not what I'm trying to say. And you can see him get agitated. And from then on, it is a sort of like, you're not answering my questions. This isn't going the way I wanted it to. And it's an emotional moment. Again, you see what happens in these moments with, with, with young guys and the pressurized situations. I think it is an example of how communication can blow up really spectacularly very quickly. And fr- and then it goes to the, like, all right, well, I'm going to talk to Daniel then. Yeah. And, and out he goes. And I was surprised by Mourinho sort of following after him and being a little bit mumbly and then having to correct himself as he walks out of the office and has that sort of, like, I don't know what his problem was. But for a moment, I think, was kind of taken aback.
1: Yep. And this was the closest thing to real drama that this show's given us so far uh, in in the six episodes that we've seen so far. I thought it was a a really interesting point. And I love the fact that, oh, I I finally go see what Daniel says. If you're not giving me any straight answers, I go see what he says. Hey, Daniel, uh, have uh, Real Madrid come back with that uh, £10 million a week contract
0: (laughs) I wanted? But I also thought this one was interesting in... Contrast to the Christian Ericsson conversation, which happens in this one as well. the Sort of his status has been looming throughout. His lack of playing time, the fact that he wants to move. Um, to their credit, they don't really paint him as like a wantaway villain. He's pretty straightforward of just like, no, I just said I'm ready for another challenge and I'm happy for that to happen when it does. Yeah. But I think you also see him starting to feel like he's being sort of pulled around a little bit and isn't being taken seriously. And that's where I go back to my psychopath comment. It's harsh, but what I mean to say is just that he makes unbroken eye contact with Daniel Levy the whole time they're talking and is very much like, no, that's not good enough. And whereas Levy seems to go with over-explaining and over-talking to make his point, he'll talk for 45 seconds about why it's not working and what they need to do and Christian Erickson will just be like, so when will it be done? And I think it completely disarms him. And again, I don't know if this one was recreated or if it was sort of everybody knew the situation going in and then they were saying it out loud because I don't know why Daniel Levy would need to tell him the amount Mm. they're holding out for that seemed odd as though it was like Christian here we want 20 million go tell Inter Milan I'm assuming they have intermediaries who could do that for them but the sort of lack of emotion in that conversation in contrast with Danny Rose's made it really interesting but made it also slightly confusing to me
1: yeah that that was interesting Ericson dynamic and you say about the and the eye contact he did seem to have the upper hand in that conversation. Yeah. This was a golden moment for Tom Hardy to come in and say do you feel like you're in control? <laughs> but he didn't do
0: it. <laughs> it's a shame. Uh, that is. You know what? I'm applauding. I'm applauding over here. Uh I I thought that was that was interesting and in then I think uh, I'm going to guess we both picked up on as I said like I forget certain moments happen in that season because they happened so long ago. And then I'm reminded of them. I'm like, oh, right, right, right. I remember that. And the whole time these conversations were happening, I was like, I remember talking to Ryan about how Christian Erickson was not trying in these games and yep. just looked completely over it. And yet that doesn't seem to be the conversation that's being had in the moment.
1: Yeah, very much. Uh, yeah. Being called a very good professional, being called wonderful. I suppose they're trying to sell him at this point. But yeah. yeah, he he did seem he was like he was at 50% capacity for a good time before that. And maybe Tottenham were in general. But uh, yeah, that was an interesting way of phrasing it. And I think we can go back to the um, levy ruthlessness conversation as well, because it was like, yeah, we're going to let you go. But only if we get 20 million. Yeah, No more, no, no less than that. One cent less than that. Otherwise, you're staying here in purgatory, son.
0: And, I, and 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 that 's where like I think all that needed to happen was he needed to say like here 's the situation we know you want to go, we don 't want to sell you, but you want to leave, so we 're willing to sell you, but we want the right amount of money and I think he just it 's one of those of maybe he 's uncomfortable, maybe he doesn 't want to be the bad guy, what have you, but in trying to soften the blow you're insulting the person more by being like, look, I'm not trying to make you upset. I'm not trying to say you're stupid. I don't want you to think that I'm saying you're stupid. Trust me. I'm not saying you're like, the more you say the thing, the more the person is like, so you're saying I'm stupid. I get it. Like, and I, and I, and I almost wonder if that was what was happening there because he doesn't really come across as this like ruthless businessman. He comes across as this guy who's like, please don't hit me. I'm trying to figure out what to do here. Again, it was just a, a moment that – like we haven't seen a lot of Christian Erickson in this documentary aside yeah. from his occasional accent. But there are moments that we do see when he seems to be a, a lighthearted figure. There's some workouts where he's sort of playing around and teasing teammates and trying to get in on the goofiness. And I don't think he is quite as severe as they paint him. And instead we see a lot of him yeah. looking sullen, looking frustrated, but I just, I really enjoyed Joseph Maria saying, like, I've never doubted your effort. You are a consummate professional. You always give 100% effort. And it's just like, I I yep. know that's not true. Because I've seen Christian Erikson give 100%, and I have seen him not, and he has not been doing that.
1: Yeah, it was very, yeah, interesting. The guy whose corners don't clear the first man <laughs> 60% of the time being told he's a very good professional.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm interrupting one last time, because at this point, I assume you're tired of Ryan and my voices. So
3: here's Paul Tenorio. Hi. This is Paul Tenorio from The Athletic. When I buy dress shirts off the rack, I tend to end up with shirts that drape off my broader shoulders and look boxy on me. Just the other day on vacation, we took a family photo, and the shirt I wore just looked way too big and wide. It was amazing how much better the photo looked when I switched into my new Indochino shirt. My wife and I had taken my measurements at home on Indochino.com and sent them in, and my new shirt emphasizes my shoulders, but cuts in so much better across my chest and stomach. I looked and felt way more confident and stylish. With Indochino, you can get custom-fitted suits, coats, shirts, and casual wear at surprisingly affordable prices. And you can customize everything from the fabric to the lining and the lapel shape, even add a monogram. The best part, Indochino suits start at just $299 with all customizations included. And it's super easy to order and get it shipped fast, no matter where you live. So go visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America, or do what I did. Book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $399 or more when you enter code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code ATHLETIC.
1: Anyway, yeah, that that was all interesting. And this episode also had the, the win against Manchester City, that unexpected yes. win, which was also part of the Bergwijn narrative, which was very good indeed. Mm-hmm. Had my favorite line of the whole episode series in it when he's doing the halftime team talk. Uh, Don't lose the ball doing S. Yeah. Don't lose the ball doing S, which and he went on to expand like don't be doing rainbow flicks and Neymar yeah. tricks, basically. But it was it was just funny to be <laughs> to have the manager yeah. t- tell him that. I thought it was fantastic.
0: I thought it was again good insight to Jose Mourinho that like. In contrast with Man City, who are probably doing a lot of that, and Liverpool probably did the same to them, of lots of flicks and quick little combinations, that's not what he wants. And I imagine what he's getting at is, like, there can be that desire. It's like, oh, you're going to do, like, a rainbow flick? Well, I'm going to do, like, a Cruyff turn on you. And if you get into those individual mindset battles, you're losing the game because you're no longer playing as a unit, which is, I think... Part, like fundamentally what Jose Mourinho wants. I thought that was a, a great line as well. Again, yeah. those are the things I want to see more of. I want to know if that's how the entire team talk is. Is it this sort of like unemotional is the wrong way to put it because there's definitely emotion there. But it's, it's just there's no filler is what I see. You don't see a lot of cushioning statements and softening things. It is getting right to the heart of the matter. Because that's what you have to do. You have to give manageable, digestible pieces of information that people can in- incorporate and act upon in those 15 minutes. You can't give long, long monologues about inches and living and dying the way Al Pacino would have us believe. I think <laughs> to some extent it's got to be, hey, this isn't happening. You've got to go there. You've got to be three yards wider. Don't try to do that flick. Pass the ball. Keep yeah. it moving. You see the result.
1: That's a good point. And I think this is something that uh, struck me in the city episode when you've got a manager who's not speaking his primary language to a lot of players who are not speaking in their primary language communication is really important to to hold the attention of the whole room and to make sure everyone is on the same page that's a very difficult skill when you're not necessarily all in your same language and when you're talking about some pretty detailed esoteric stuff as well to get the ideas across concisely that must be one of the hardest skills of a manager and something that evidently Mourinho does fairly well
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. I have that in my notes in this exact episode of what do coaches do when they don't speak English. Mm. How do they have meetings? Because in this episode when Bergwijn comes in, there is that briefing before the Man City game. And... It, it did make me wonder, like, is that a thing he wants? Does he want people who speak, like, one of the f- three or four languages that Jose Mourinho speaks? Because otherwise, if Steven Bergwijn has no knowledge of English, like, w- which he very well, like, he could, but there's many other players who don't, and they come in. Do they have an interpreter? Do you have the interpreter talking while you're talking? Wouldn't that drive you insane? Like, I, I really, I don't know how managers handle that sort of uh, issue. And again, Pochettino doesn't, like, he he reverts to Spanish in the one clip we see. Has definitely improved his English, but I do wonder, like, what were his team talks? Was he giving them in Spanish? Did he have somebody else doing it who spoke mm. better English? That that is a question that I came away from uh, wondering. That's like one of the few things I, I definitely have a larger question about now than I did at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, anything else from episode five before we talk about the final one? Let's go
1: into the final right. one, the mm-hmm. uh, the Sonny injury episode. I think we should title this one as right.
0: Yeah, it's it's injuries and softness, because this is really an entire <laughs> episode of Son being injured and what are we going to do, injuries mounting, and why doesn't this team fight? Why don't you have this spirit? Why, like If you get louder, I'll give you a day off. That's in this episode. Yep. This is where it really starts to get into the idea that like Tottenham just don't have that extra level, they don't have that extra gear.
1: Oh yeah, the 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 joy when Mourinho walks in and says, "You get an extra day off," and they're all like, "Whoa, we're going to Disney World! Amazing!" That was a that was a nice (laughs) moment, and it makes you yeah, that's another humanizing moment. But can we talk about the physio? A head physio yeah. guy um I think he's Australian and he his primary job is to break bad news to Jose Mourinho yeah. it seems because there was this someone and I think when he um, when he was talking about Kane and getting his injury as well the dynamic is Jose Mourinho sitting staring straight ahead maybe eating and the Australian head physio has to tell him that his players are injured yeah and Not once does Jose Mourinho make eye contact with him. And you could see the passionate hatred he has for these physios who take away his players and who tell him that they can't play through pain, who tell him that they have to be out for 12 weeks. He hates that. And we know he has um, Mm -hmm. a bit of a history with uh, uh, physios and whether they are allowed onto the field and get fired by their teams. We know that is in his backstory. And just that dynamic between that head physio guy and Mourinho is fascinating because they're both on the same page, essentially. They're both trying to make this team the best team possible but their goals in that moment are Mm -hmm. completely disparate it's great yeah
0: so I want to stick with that for a second because again for the most part I have enjoyed this documentary from start to finish I I, I have found Jose Mourinho really captivating I think that's been a, a goal of the documentary I think it's worked really well it's made me more sympathetic to Spurs with that said this was the moment for me when it seemed like maybe he didn't know the cameras were on because it is filmed from a little bit of a distance. It's a strange angle. I, they're not quite, like, right there the way they are in other shots. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the only times we see him be that sort of th- the Jose Mourinho character. of Grumpy. I don't want your information. He interrupts to be like, right, sawn out. Got it. Like, d- like I don't need your filler. and. Maybe that's just, like, like who he is, that he just wants specific information delivered succinctly and be on your way. I don't need you to hem and haw and explain issues and complications and difficulties. But I also – it did seem like he just kind of hates physios, or at yep. least this physio in particular, although he had the run-ins with Chelsea, as you said. But, yeah, man, like – the, the, this is where we start to get that battle between manager and medical team. And we see it with Ben Davies in this episode where it like the, 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 the doctor says like, we have these moments when you're, you should be out eight to 12 weeks, but there's this big game in six weeks. And oftentimes we'll start getting that pressure. You'll start hearing that like, you should be playing, you should be playing. And then you end up dealing with the lasting ramifications of playing when you're injured. And I think, that's another one that like I've been kind of waiting to see because it's, an, it's a backroom issue that I think is a constant battle of medical people saying, this person cannot play, they're not ready to go, and coaches desperately needing that player to be ready. And I think it manifests in, I do not like you and I won't make eye contact with you. <laughs>
1: and I think there's a stand-up uh, sort of to camera that the head physio does where he kind of admits, yeah, but the hardest or biggest, most difficult part of my job is sort of breaking down the news to the technical yeah. team and to Jose Mourinho because you know it's a really difficult dynamic that they have and you can certainly see that it's hard uh, i'd love to know what what their interactions are like off camera frankly if that's what they like on camera
0: <laughs> i the the some of the medical interactions i still get confused by when they're like um when eric lamella returns to training and then like uh, withdraws after 30 minutes and says like there's still a tightness in his thigh and the physio who's dealing with him who seems to be like a fairly high up one in, in the organization is more like, well, we could get you a scan. Do you want a scan? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, we'll get you a scan then. And it's just like,
2: aren't you the medical professional? (laughs) Like, shouldn't
0: you be being like, all right, here's what we're going to do. And I don't know if that's a, like, they want players to feel in control of their own decision-making and they don't just want to tell people what to do. But in my experience, if I had access to unlimited healthcare that was very good i would be like yeah tell me what to do let's go let's make it happen because i can gamble on they're not just telling me extraneous information they have a vested interest in me getting back into the team as fast as possible so i can sort of trust what they're telling me at least i think i can but that the sort of passiveness of some of the doctors uh has not been what i expected
1: yeah and it's it's another interesting insight into the life of a premier league player when lamella sort of pulls up and has that slight complaint it's yeah it, it, it hammers home how important these investments are to the team and how they're doing absolutely everything they can to keep them in tip-top shape at all times. But also, it's kind of the the, the molly coddled way of the Premier League player. Like, Daddy, my leg hurts slightly. Exactly. And, and then, oh, come on, baby, we'll go get you a scan. Yeah, okay, let's do that. It's, but see, all, it's very interesting.
0: But that, man, but that's the, like, again, that's the pressure that I, I think I don't really think about in those moments, that if you're this player who your entire livelihood and sort of existence is wrapped up in, I am good enough. I've, I've they've spent all this money on me. I should be starting for this team. And yet I'm out injured. And now does the coach think I'm soft? Does he think I'm weak? Does he think I'm making excuses? I'm supposed to be playing and I'm not, am I going to be overlooked? Are they going to fire me and bring in somebody else? All that pressure is there and it must just be so intense. And I have to believe exacerbates the situation because if you're constantly worrying about, am I going to get better? Why am I not going to get better? Is it getting better? I hope it's getting better. Mm-hmm. That level of stress and worry, I think, makes things worse, because you're just not relaxed and focused on recovery, you're focused on what happens if I don't get better right away, how mad is Jose going to be, and I think it probably leads to some ill effects.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, all, all I can say, Tate, is I, I have, uh, despite my, uh, the, the negative points I have portrayed uh, in this last hour, I have really enjoyed this all or nothing. I think it's been my favorite all or nothing so far. And I'm looking forward to uh, the final three episodes, particularly uh, if my understanding is correct. And people listening may have already seen the final three, but the last episode, they were only going to do eight, but they decided to do nine because they did an additional one after the coronavirus pandemic. So I'm Mm -hmm. really interested to see, interested to see, um, how the dynamic of the team and how things change and when they're playing in empty stadiums. That that last episode, I think, is going to be absolutely fascinating.
0: The things that I will be keeping my eye on with that in mind, number one, do we hear more about Ndombele and everything that happened there? Because we are getting to the point in the season when Mourinho starts sort of Mm. publicly saying he's not working hard enough he's not ready to be in the starting 11 so will they address that thus far they have not though he's been there the whole season the other one is like are we going to get the moment when because Tottenham break uh quarantine right or maybe that's putting it too harshly but there's like they they do some training when they're not supposed to there's some players coming together in groups maybe at Jose Mourinho's uh not insistence but encouragement uh and will that be talked about like I would like to see some of that sort of behind the scenes stuff so that we do feel like we're getting a mostly realistic depiction of how things went down as opposed to like, yep, we followed the rules. Don't worry about everything else that was reported. We definitely followed the rules the whole time. It's fine.
1: Yeah, and, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very interesting. And uh, ha- having Tom Hardy narrating with one League. more point, uh, Tottenham will be able to get to the qualification round of the Europa League where they will <laughs> go to Bulgaria <laughs> and completely clog up their fixture list for the next season. <laughs> I was born in the dark. <laughs>
0: Oh, Tom Hardy. He's the best. <laughs> Let's make more Mad Maxes. Let's just put him in anything. Uh, he could go toe-to-toe with Jose Mourinho for being annoyed by questions in press conferences. I'll say that. Some of his answers to uh, reporter interviews are outstanding. Uh, so watch those <laughs> if you want, then watch Jose Mourinho be annoyed with the press. But for now, Ryan, I think we've covered the first six episodes. Uh, as, as we do, we've gone over an hour. It's tradition. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Thank you weirdly for when people listen to this it will have already happened but thank you in advance for talking about the start of the Premier League season we'll be back Monday to do that weekend review I'm assuming you're looking forward to the resumption of the Premier League it's been so long
1: it has been so long and that first weekend of Premier League games was wonderful wasn't it Oh, oh, I can't believe that
0: thing that happened happened and that other thing that happened didn't happen, right? So many
1: things, I know. So many
0: things, such things. Uh, But until we're actually able to talk about those things, all I will say is, Ryan Bailey, thank you once again, as always, for taking the time to chat with me today. Always a pleasure. Never a ritual.